0: First off, I want to compliment you on just how well put together you are. Right now, you did not have to get all dressed up for this podcast interview.
1: Oh, oh I know. I just, um, I take my daughter to school in the morning and I see her teachers and then I just, you know, I like to be put together. It kind of translates to my speech also and helps me compartmentalize like, my thoughts better. I know it sounds silly, but it's like the more put together I am outwardly, the more together I am inwardly
0: (laughs) oh that makes sense I'll hear about uh like with psychology how people have a I guess a totem would be a good word that puts them into the mindset of the person that they need to be in order to accomplish the task at hand or whatever right
1: and I have I have some Skype meetings a couple different Skype meetings today with some clients and I'm like well I just get ready in the morning and I could just knock it all out and I don't have to worry about it (laughs) for the rest
0: of the day. What I was saying before I started recording was that this will be one of, I have three more guests that I'm going to interview and I have two or three more podcast episodes to edit from like back in February, March and uh, get those uploaded and released. But I'm thinking that I'm going to switch over to perhaps like one interview per month just to really save time. So, like, it'll be maybe a person that I interview, maybe an organization that I interview. And then the other two episodes over the course of the month are just gonna be me talking about something specific. Um, probably do like listener questions where people can write in things or if they have like topics that they wanna cover, I can do a little bit of research on them and uh, just expand in a little bit of a different way. Um, And I think the thing that I touched on right before I was like, wait a minute, let me press record because we'll get into these great conversations and then not have not even have recorded (laughs) the podcast. So, um, yeah, like I've run into issues where people would we'd interview and I'd edit and then be ready to upload and I'd ask them to approve and then they just won't listen to the episode, but won't give me consent to approve and. It would just be a complete mess after having put in, like, combined edits and uh, interview and upload time, like, six to eight hours of that just for, just to get ghosted, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's your time. You're putting in all this work, and, you know, time is money, so I've had, you know, drafted contracts for people for weddings, and come up with all these elaborate quotes for them numerous quotes and then they just end up going with another florist or go see me and i'm like that's the point of a deposit (laughs) is um you know that's why i make people put deposits down because i'm doing a lot of research for you and legwork that you're unaware of
0: today i am planning to um begin outlining my own personal boundaries uh, because I recently just integrated my various Instagram accounts. I've been in therapy and we've talked about uh, this thing I do where I sort of separate myself from the things that I'm involved with. And so my personal training account was one thing. My Uh, something positive for positive people. Instagram account was another thing. Facebook was another thing. Twitter is another aspect of me. So now we're at a place of just integrating all of these. And it's important for me now to go from having no boundaries or really loose boundaries to being able to clearly articulate what those boundaries are as we move forward. And I'm thinking kind of like what you said about the deposit, um, not that I'm, you know, selling a particular service or anything, but there is in fact a lot of um, like emotional labor or um, just investment of energy exchange that oftentimes is uh, like where I'm being taken from. I don't necessarily feel drained, but for the investment of energy and time that's being put in for you know me not asking for money or uh, having someone will contact me through my website or you uh, can set up a call with me or anything like that like I'm gonna get to a point where it's like I'm asking people to just simply share the resource or leave a review or make a donation to the nonprofit so that it can go towards helping someone else so I'm getting much Better with this kind of thing as a result of therapy and that's been really helpful for me um and so when I heard you mention deposits like I was like damn too bad I can't do that like I wouldn't be able to do that uh for something positive for positive people but I think that when you ask for something as simple as a share or a review or you know a donation if you find value in the resources that have helped you I think that's a little bit of a reasonable ask
1: Oh, yeah, for for
0: sure, for sure. So, this podcast was not supposed to be about me for the first five minutes. We're going to talk about you. So, Annie, you and I connected um, at this point. It might have been a month ago, maybe a little bit longer. And you sent me a very well-thought-out message. It was very nice and pleasant. Um, and we were starting to record. And in the recording, we kind of had a sense that perhaps you may not have been ready to talk about what we talked about? How have you sort of felt since then? And can you talk a little bit more to that experience?
1: For me, I had never spoke about it to somebody that wasn't super, super close to me. And then um, you asked such good questions that really um, caught me off guard, I think, and made me um, remember... Parts of that time that I hadn't thought about in a long time. So I think I was just like caught off guard a little bit, but I, I mean, I, that's your job as an interviewer is to ask these hard questions. So after we spoke the first time I started thinking more in depth about that time, because subconsciously, I'm sure my brain had, you know, that mechanism of where it was suppressing certain parts to protect my conscience. I've been able to evaluate, a lot of it and um, I could
0: probably get through it without crying <laughs> that's what got me yeah because when I saw the tears for him when I was like all right we're gonna finish this and then I'm gonna let you hear everything that was said but we're definitely gonna redo it how was it to hear yourself for the first time like talking to someone who wasn't close to you and I can't imagine the emotions that you may have felt but I saw the tears so it was like whoa I don't know what this is <laughs> it was really
1: surreal because, you know I think it's Um, you know, suicide, just like HSV, is stigmatized. And you hear a lot of people who haven't experienced the kind of helplessness that lends to suicide say things like, your feelings right now are temporary, but suicide is a, a permanent choice. But it's a little different for people with HSV or any lifelong diagnosis, because it is permanent. And You know, as a society, we need to banish that stigma because it's not allowing people to grieve a permanent condition openly. At that time, why did I have to grieve in silence and internalize all this pain because I contracted a virus? You know, I feel like if I didn't associate so much shame with my diagnosis and had more outlets and resources that are available today, I'm not sure if suicide would have ever even crossed my mind. You know.
0: And just for the backstory, like you and I've had this conversation, so I'm aware of what you know the majority of your story is. But um, if you're comfortable with telling it from start to finish, just from um, your diagnosis and what it was, how you were diagnosed, and what was happening around that time, and then we can transition into the point that I really want to cover, which was um, that time frame around your suicide ideation. And outreach to the suicide hotline, specifically.
1: So yeah, I was 20 years old. I'm almost 31. So I've almost been um, HSV positive for 11 years. I've dealt with this most of my young adult life, which kind of you know impacts your dating for sure. And P.S. is a whole nother... <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast episode, which I've, I've listened to several that you've done on, on dating on positive singles, and really the only advice I have for that is, um, and I learned this the hard way, just because people share a diagnosis with you doesn't necessarily mean they want to share their life with you. So I did a lot of dating on PS in my 20s, but when I first got diagnosed, I was going to college, I started dating a guy was in one of my classes. It was a creative writing course. We went to high school together, so I had, like, briefly known him in high school, but we didn't hang out that much, so in college, we, like, reconnected. The entire time we dated was, like, three months, um, maybe, like, a month and a half after we started having sex. Um, I got, like, flu-like symptoms, fever, stuffy nose, sore throat. Um, I did notice, like, the, the lymph nodes were, swollen in different areas of my body and the tingling down the spine. Um, So I thought that was strange, but I didn't really think much of it until I got an actual outbreak. And it was on my left labia, it was super painful. I remember it was on a weekend, so my doctor's office wasn't open and I ended up having to go to the emergency room. And I got an exam there He told me he thought it was herpes. And I just remember like, it's like everything was like, like around me, like got dark and I could see his mouth like moving, but my brain wasn't processing like the words that were coming out of his mouth. And my mom was with me. So she took me home and I told her what happened. And actually a week prior to that, one of my very, very good friends had passed away from a heroin overdose. And I actually was like in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I was one of the ones who found him and tried to resuscitate him, but um, was unsuccessful. So I was dealing with, I think some PTSD from that, honestly. It was kind of traumatizing. And then I got diagnosed with HSV and I kind of just felt like you know, my life was over. I lost a really good friend, one of my best friends. And now I had this permanent condition that was going to affect, you know, being a mother, um, giving birth the way I wanted to, um, dating the way I wanted to. Suddenly I thought that my life was just limited to dating other people who have HSV. And back then, you know, A decade ago, there weren't people like you doing the things that you're doing and providing outlets and resources and and therapy. I certainly could not have afforded therapy back then.
0: When you say you couldn't date the way you wanted to anymore, what was the way you wanted to? I thought
1: that I was not going to be able to have fun. Like, my idea of fun back then was going out and drinking, and kind of just doing what I wanted to do, making out with people, maybe, you know.
0: You wanted your freedom.
1: Yeah, I wanted my freedom, and I, I suddenly felt like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to do that anymore. I'm not going to be able to have my freedom. But this, you know, this was all when it first happened, and kind of my, like, naive thinking, and I think I was already depressed, so that on top of it was just pretty devastating
0: for a 20 year old girl you know yeah now you receive your diagnosis and you lose your freedom i was trying to think of a better way to say that because our freedom isn't really lost i think that it gets kind of it has to be rediscovered it's almost like herpes hides it because our attention is so much more diverted to the herpes than it is to whatever it is that we think herpes took from us, right? Right. I'll use myself as an example because um, what you're saying kind of sounds like me uh, at the time of my diagnosis was um, I was concerned about my loss of freedom as a result of my diagnosis, being that now I am going to be limited in the amount of sexual partners that I'm gonna have because no one is going to want to put themselves at risk of being exposed to herpes you know for a sexual encounter it's like at that point I learned just how much I really valued sex and I had to challenge my belief around the value of sex like is my value that I place on sex so much more significant on my value as a human being okay maybe people won't want to have sex with me, but there are so many other ways that people can be around me or be with me or share intimacy or have friendship or have any sort of connection without limiting it or having it exclusively be tied to the sexuality piece of it to where... It's, oh, I can't hang out with Courtney because he has herpes. Or I can't connect with Courtney because he has herpes. And so I I thought that this was probably a good place to self-disclose that because I think that that's kind of where you were from the sound of what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah, and I was afraid that, you know, people were going to be like that towards me. I'm glad you brought that up. Like, I can't hang out with Danny because she's HSV positive. We can't go out and, like, have fun like we used to because she's HSV positive. Like, what if I drink after her, you know, and a lot of people don't really know how it gets transmitted. I mean, it's our job to enlighten people. But at the same time, I just felt like a plague. I felt like a plague. I felt like nobody's going to want to spend time with me, whether it's sexually, not sexually. I just felt alone. And I felt like I I was carrying around this big burden, you know, I mean, your Instagram handle H on my chest like that's how I felt I was just carrying around this H on my chest all the time I had to like be silent
0: about it no one ever asked me what the H stands for like I've not ever once gotten hey what does the H stand for because like it could stand for health it could stand for hope it could stand for hype true I mean, but clearly it's herpes, (laughs) but I just thought that was funny, all of the things that it could stand for, I mean, because I I do hype people up, Uh, I give people hope, Um, this is a health related resource, and then what was the other one, I guess Hero, Hero could be it, you know, some cases, I'm seen as a hero to people, but it's really awesome to be able to have something like this, and for it to be symbolic to the perspective of the person who finds these resources. Because to that person, I may be a number of different things, and the resources that you know I provide through something positive for positive people um, could serve a purpose that resonates with them. In yoga teacher training, we were studying the Hindu gods, and there's so many different gods and what the gods represent is a path of worship and so just because you worship this god or that god or that god doesn't mean that you aren't worshiping the source universal god there is you're just choosing a god that represents one path to the same destination which is there and saying all of that like i think that it's a matter of Perspective as far as how we get to the resources that we get to. And I think that like with all of the accounts, the pages, the resources that are out there, as challenging as they are to find, I think that each of us represent a unique path of healing based on what that individual deems worthy of their going on their journey with. So, I mean, there's me, there's sex education, there's positive results. If we're talking about Instagram, there's a number of other podcasts, there's a number of other support groups, Facebook groups, and all of these different methods. Oh, and the dating sites as well, that people can begin their healing process once they discover them. And as challenging as they are to find, once we get them, I think that we have a newfound appreciation for them because of how challenging life has been without them so we're more inclined to use them we're more inclined to really use them not just you know oh there's this group I'm just going to join the group and be in the group but like I love seeing the excitement of people when they find these resources and like their willingness to explore and through that I think that people often find themselves as well that's what happened to me I mean when I found dating sites I think that that showed me who I was despite my diagnosis. And then you hit a point where you see yourself and you see yourself with your diagnosis and uh, you got to decide, you know, who do I want to be? Who do I like more? How can I integrate the two? And so that's the path that I think that we're all on here.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I remember actually how I found your Instagram one of my co old co-workers um, had reached out to me and she said, hey, I know you're HSV positive and I just really need to talk to somebody. I just recently got diagnosed and I just have a lot of questions and concerns. Do you have a minute to talk? So she called me on the phone and. Um, We talked for like an hour and just had a really good conversation. And I was able to tell her all the things that I wish somebody would have told me when I was first diagnosed. And um, by the end of the conversation, the tone of her voice sounded lighter than when I first started talking to her. So I felt like that was successful. That was good. And anyway, after we hung up, I started looking up resources to hopefully share with her to help her on her journey and that's where i ran across your instagram and just you know started following you from there and seeing all the work you were doing it was really special
0: did you know i had a podcast when you found the instagram page
1: um no i didn't i didn't know you didn't i wasn't aware of the podcast but
0: yeah uh, i really need to after do I a... it I
1: found and i went and listened to a lot of episodes and I was like, dang, I want to be a part of
0: this somehow. <laughs> I definitely need to do a better job of marketing because that happens a lot where people don't even know I have a podcast. They're like, oh, I'm just so thankful to find your Instagram. I'm like, Oh, you should check out the podcast. They're like, what's the podcast? I was like, shit, <laughs> I got to do better about that. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that you found it. I'm glad that your friend felt safe in reaching out to you. And I'm also glad that you really wanted to be a part of this. Your experience... Really touches on the core, the source of something positive for positive people. In that, while on the surface we talk to people with STIs about their experiences, dating, sex, disclosure, their diagnosis, and navigating stigma, the birth of something positive for positive people was from an intentional place of being a suicide prevention resource. And you specifically had in your own experiences with suicide after your diagnosis and if you are comfortable and ready to you know share those aspects of your uh story then I'm going to just give you the floor and let you speak and um I'll just jump in with any questions you know once you're done Yeah, for sure. Um so I think
1: I left off uh earlier I was um living with my mom and You know, my, it was, my friend passed away in my diagnosis, depression from both of those and not really having many, you know, resources or outlets to turn to. when she was at work one day, I went into her bathroom and she has a lot of underlying health conditions. Your mom, right? So there were, yeah, my mother. And so she had um, some different opioids in the cupboard um, or in the medicine cabinet and I, Um, I wrote her a note and, um, it said, I'll see you when I see ya, which was awful for a mother to find. But anyways, I grabbed a bottle of pills and I downed it.
0: (laughs) Do you know what the pills were? Just out of curiosity.
1: Um, I think it was the type of muscle relaxer. I can't remember exactly the name of it, um but it was the type of, uh, Oh, Soma. If they were, it was a bottle of Somas and I, I took all of them and, um, yeah, I just, I just, I remember passing out and then I just remember like, um, like having a really hard time opening my eyes. And at that point, my mom had come home and she, I remember her being over me talking to me and then, um, She somehow she got me in the car and she was driving me to the emergency room and and um, I started vomiting and I remember that and she got me inside and then I I don't remember waiting in the emergency room. I don't remember how I got into the bed, but once I was in the bed, um, I just remember a tube going down my throat and then I remember waking up and feeling sore like, really sore, Um, but because I had taken all those muscle relaxers, my um, urethra wasn't working, so I couldn't, like, it wasn't opening, and I couldn't pee, so um, a nurse had to put a catheter in me, and and that was super painful, I remember that, (laughs) Um, but anyways, after that, one thing I did notice, and it's something I want to address, I feel like People, some people, I don't say all people, but some people in the healthcare industry, uh, maybe nurses or doctors who have seen, you know, suicide attempts again and again and again, um, suffer from some type of compassion fatigue. I think that they get tired of seeing, um, you know, able-bodied people um, do things like this to themselves when there are so many Um, you know, terminal illnesses out there. And the demeanor that the nurse had towards me um, was was almost like the same, and I'll get to this later, but it was the same kind of um, demeanor and tone that the woman on the suicide hotline had with me. Um, It was just very um institutionalized like cold I didn't really feel like there was empathy there at all not that I was deserving of all of this you know empathy but I just feel like you know when dealing with somebody who just tried to end their life you definitely should try to see some humanness in it rather than seeing that person as like a machine which maybe that's what they have to do to get through the the day like I don't know but it was kind of strange and it didn't didn't really help like my mental health status to feel like I was being judged almost for that. So anyways, I did not get institutionalized because I guess I admitted to what I was doing. I think people who do try to commit suicide and then they get um, admitted into the ER and they have a mental health um, evaluator come and talk to you and um if you deny it and you say no i wasn't trying to do that to myself like it was an accident um and you're in denial about it then they'll they're like this person needs to be institutionalized and it actually happened to my sister several years before i ever tried to commit suicide my sister tried to commit suicide and she um was in denial about it and denied it and denied it and she got institutionalized for like uh, a week after that so I was honest about my intentions and instead of sending me there they set me up with a counselor um, that i went and saw maybe twice but then there was no um like mandatory counseling or classes or anything like that any type of follow-up like that and when i think about it now is kind of shocking to me because there needs to be a better system for people to try and do this. A lot of people don't have the support that I did. Like my father, I was able to go back and live with my father and he was kind of like my stability and my rock. For people that don't have that, there needs to be something better that they can, they can um, turn to, something consistent, you know, for however long they need it. That was definitely lacking in my case.
0: Shortly after, I realized that there were people, and I I don't have a number. I can't say if it's a lot or a little, but one is too many. And with the three, four, five instances that I've seen where people, after their HSV diagnosis, were expressing suicide ideation, I was like, well, is there something out here? Perhaps I can send them to the suicide hotline. And I, I went to the, I'm sorry, Lifeline i've gone to the suicide prevention lifeline whatever it's called website and i noticed there was something for veterans with ptsd rape survivors incest survivors um and there may have been two other categories but none of which were specific to this you know and i'm sure that there are um people who do, in fact, suffer from compassion fatigue, the people who have to answer these calls and everything. But, you know, for the five people over the course of six months that I happen to run into who were seemingly serious about their suicide ideation, you know, there's a need there, there's a need there. So even if there are 10 people over the course of a year, we don't know how many people have gone through that. And someone that I know, um, that I've met, I can't say that I know him uh, from one of the social events that I've gone to, he did die by suicide. And we, I personally, I'll speak from my experience with him, He was the life of the party. He was engaged uh, with the people. He was having a great time. He was social and he had registered for an upcoming event. And he just he wasn't here the next day. Like I talked to people, they were like, Yeah, I spoke to him yesterday and we don't know what It was, we don't know what he was going through, but whatever it was, he hit it very well. And I just can't help but think to myself, well, what if he had had uh, a reliable, safe resource to connect with? Because, yeah, even though he had a community, he had friends, there was still something else that he may have felt like he needed that just wasn't there. So for me, it was important for me um, at that point in time. Well, previously, I'm sorry, at the point of time that I looked for resources specifically to people with an SCI diagnosis who were dealing with suicide ideation, I reached out and was like, Hey, can we make a resource or is there a resource? And there aren't any, there's nothing to be had. And I've tried to collaborate with people on it, but this is the closest thing that I've got. Like there's this podcast that hopefully a little bit eases a burden by hearing from people who may be struggling with navigating their herpes diagnosis and stigma in the same way that you may be, by having the suicide ideation that this sort of makes you feel less alone and it gives you a sense of, okay, well, that person took control of their life, so my loss of control is um, something that I can work on. So here are things that I can do to control Uh, To to reclaim my power, my control in life. Because like you said, if this wasn't around for you 10 years ago and this wasn't around three years ago um, or prior to the three years ago when I did uh, created this, then there's no telling how many people could just still be here. We don't know that. And so... Yeah, this is that resource. That's what this is. This is, in fact, suicide prevention. And the stories that are shared on here, when people share these podcast episodes, like, it amazes me to see people rise up against stigma to prioritize the prolonging of someone's existence here in this shitty world, this planet, on life, in life. Uh, and they, they look at that as superseding their own suffering with the stigma. Because, yes, I interview people with herpes. So if you share this or post this, maybe your friends and family that see this are going to think, oh, my God, that person that had shared this must have herpes. But no, this is so much bigger than herpes. And a lot of the stuff that we talk about on here is bigger than herpes. Herpes is just the meeting point. The It's a, a longitude, latitude on the map of the human experience in the realm of sexuality and then the conversations disperse so much further out into conversations around social justice issues. We talk about criminalization of people with HIV, we talk about sexual assault, we talk about uh, various aspects of non-monogamy, we talk about mental health, we talk about spirituality, and we talk about suicide. And that's the thing people don't realize when we say not enough people are talking about herpes or all so and so talks about is herpes, like that may be all you see, but when you when you come from a place of needing what's there, you understand that there's so much more that you receive than what you thought you would have received. Yeah,
1: I I mean definitely this diagnosis, it forces you to look deeper because you know you're here at a superficial level and then you get your diagnosis and you have to look beyond your diagnosis and because you aren't your diagnosis right so you dig deeper into yourself and you have to dig deeper into other people and that I mean that's kind of nice in a sense that it's, like, it's almost like oh we can we can just like bypass that superficiality and just you know not waste time dealing with all of that and, and kind of be vulnerable with each other um, right off the bat because we are at this meeting point but that's not who we are. That's one good thing that I have um, the silver lining I guess that I have, I''ve gotten out of being HSV positive is um, being extra sensitive and extra intuitive to people's internal struggles, and, you know, hopefully just trying to, you know, be a light and a beacon and and a resource for them, and um, be like, you know, 10 years ago, I was downing a bottle of pills, hoping to end my life, and today, I have a beautiful five-year-old, I went through a pregnancy with HSV and HPV, I am engaged to a wonderful man. And even though we had to push off our wedding because of COVID, <laughs> um, it's still going to happen one day. And I'm a business owner, so things can turn around. And I just wish that somebody would have told me that. Somebody who had had it for longer, maybe through connection through a resource or, you know, the Lifeline, the food Lifeline that has been dealing with something like this. So maybe there does need to be some type of like specific STI training for those people who work on the lifeline that can instill hope Mm -hmm. for people like me.
0: Yeah, I'm finding that an STI diagnosis is not viewed as a sexual trauma until someone brings it into the awareness of the people that make that decision, I guess. But I did a video for... My yoga teacher training and I didn't realize this until I was asked but she asked me to tell her what got me into yoga and it poured out of me that I got into yoga shortly after my herpes diagnosis to manage stress and um the fact that this is a sexual trauma uh, that I'm healing from and reconnecting with my body was something that I hope to be able to offer to the world someday. And my instructor was like, man, me and my husband, like we're listening, I'm editing and it's loud. And my husband heard too. And neither of us really considered an STI diagnosis, a sexual trauma, but this is in fact, such a traumatic event for us for a number of reasons. And again, I'm not a, doctor i'm not a therapist i don't have any letters behind my name talking through this but the experience that i've had what i commonly see across the board from everyone that i speak with is that this is in fact something that begins a life transformation for a lot of us whether we choose to cope or begin to heal This is something that we are all navigating from the time that we uh, learn of our diagnosis. So whether it be some form of destructive or negative behavior or some sort of a nourishing and healing behavior, we're all navigating our diagnosis from a place of either coping or healing and it's important for us to be able to differentiate the two because coping according to my therapist i'm gonna i'm I'm that guy now i'm that person who says my therapist says dot 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 speaking with my therapist he mentioned um that perhaps I hadn't healed from my diagnosis. And now I've been positive for... This is the eighth year of my herpes diagnosis. And he mentioned this to me on our first therapy session. He was like, well, I don't think you've healed from your diagnosis. And the fact that I got angry and was like, what the fuck you mean? I haven't healed from it. Like, I'm healing from it. I do this podcast and I've interviewed 150 people. And then over time, the come down of my anger with him about that made me realize that, huh, I have really spent a lot of my space sort of deflecting. I haven't spent my space but a lot of what I consider to be healing perhaps has been coping like jumping into I have herpes and if you care you don't matter and if you don't matter then you, you or if you care you do matter and if you don't care you don't matter right? Very much like that um, people can jump into relationships, stay in relationships jump into advocacy To ignore their own healing, begin to go into drinking, drugs, whatever, to sort of numb or cope. And in coping, what I find is that we often hurt others in our coping. We do more harm than good. Whereas when we're looking at this from a healing perspective, which is kind of like why in this episode I'm making it a point... To speak more of my personal experiences out loud because these aspects of myself that I've sort of held on to or um, have used my guests as deflections from me and making it about y'all like this is more healing because perhaps there's something that I say that may resonate with someone based on my experience but I'm like chipping away by planting little nuggets and seeds from each of you out there so that I don't have to really deal with it myself and this whole healing process in itself is one that encourages the healing not only of ourselves but of those around us as well so You can either cope with it and do damage to those around you or you can heal with it and encourage the positive progression through the emotions around this and the behaviors that are going to come after you receive your herpes diagnosis. And the same thing goes for any other life circumstance. We can replace herpes with just about anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be an STI diagnosis. It can be any form of adversity that we face that when we begin to challenge we build resilience for, and we get better at it, and it becomes a little more simple to navigate. So, there you go, Derek. That's for you, Derek. I'm doing my healing. <laughs> this is how this is how I like talk about my therapist in my head. I hope you didn't listen to this, <laughs> but um, yeah, we we've talked about it, and I'm finding that to be really helpful for me because. I've been in this space for the last three years, and I don't know what kind of damage I've done. By using this as a way of coping, I don't know what kind of damage I've done. So it's my responsibility now with the awareness that I will credit my BetterHelp therapist, Derek, for www.betterhelp.com SPFPP for your first month uh, of uh, 10% off. I'll credit him for helping me get to this point. It's been about two months now, and we've gone through a lot of stuff in relation to Like what we're talking about here, which is the coping versus healing.
1: I definitely know what you mean. So after my suicide attempt, I did cope largely by using alcohol. And that was my go-to. Whenever I would think about my suicide attempt or whenever I would have a bad outbreak, I would drink. And one way people found out about me having HSV before I was ready to share this information... I went to a bar and I carried my acyclovir with me in my purse, you know, so I wouldn't forget to take it. Um, got kind of drunk. It was a bar that I would regularly go to and my prescription falls out of my bag in the bar and a couple of the bartenders who knew me found it. Right. And it was there. And then, um, we were friends on Facebook, and I, I had commented on a picture or something of one of our mutual friends. And then he makes a comment underneath that and says something about me having herpes, like as a joke. And I don't think he was aware. I didn't want anybody to know at that point in time, or like I wasn't being open about it. But I got very upset, and i felt like such an invasion of my privacy you know and i messaged him and i said hey like bro that's not cool like that's not something that i'm ready to disclose with anyone it's not something i'm proud of right like at all and i was like that's just really insensitive and rude for you to take this to a public forum and he was actually apologetic about it and he's like i didn't think that it was that big of a deal and i'm sorry and he ended up taking his comment down but um yeah, and that's how my old coworker knew that I had it. It's because of that instance. So I was like, I kind of got ousted before I was even ready and, you know, dealing with that, but it happened for a reason because years later she reached out to me in her time of need. So wow. I feel like that the universe kind of works in ways like that.
0: Crazy how it's all connected and comes around, right? You did mention that you want to get involved, be supportive be of some level of support. Can you tell me a little bit about the motivation behind that? Like what makes you want to do this podcast? What makes you want to share your story and be of some sort of service to the, this community that we're part of now?
1: My particular experience, my feeling um, of hopelessness after my diagnosis, especially as a woman, um, you know, wondering thinking how is this going to affect me being a mother how is this going to affect me giving birth how is this going to affect me when I have my menstrual cycle and my hormones go all crazy and my body feels like it's going to have an outbreak every single month like before I start my period so I don't know there was there's just so much that I didn't know and there was so much insecurity and instability that I hope with my almost 11 years of experience living with this, through this, through different things, that I can hopefully share some insight or be of comfort to people who are feeling that amount of hopelessness that I felt. And to know that it does get better. It does get better. As a mother, there are are different ways, or there's, you know, you can have a C-section or you can have natural birth. Um, My gynecologist actually encouraged me to have a natural birth through my entire pregnancy. But unfortunately, two weeks before my due date, I had an outbreak. Um, So I ended up having to have a C-section. But, you know, people don't know that. People don't know, like, you can still have a natural birth. You don't have to have a C-section. Your life can still be normal. You don't have to take the medication if you don't want to. You can still date the way you want to. I mean, there's going to be some uncomfortable conversations um, if you choose otherwise, but you can still have freedom with different parameters. And I just wish somebody would have told me that because I thought my freedom was, like, gone. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what what happens is just that what I'm hearing is um, heartbeat sort of brings up and represents this uncomfortable conflict. And we need to view conflict as not something that is negative, but something that's useful because there's something to learn from it and there's action to be taken from it. Clearly whatever was happening before for us or with us needed to change or be adjusted. And so now we have to take a look at what it is around Uh, our thoughts about herpes and then as we begin to break through that layer we get into our uh, thoughts about relationships, about sex, about uh, our validation from others and how we look at ourselves. So the cycle just really goes on from there but yeah you were absolutely right. The cost of freedom is just going to be being able to emerge from conflict that you first have to become willing to engage in. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your story. I appreciate you for engaging in the conflict and Um, offering your story, offering your experiences, and also having to listen to that last podcast episode that we did and coming back willing to continue the conversation as challenging as it was for you the first time. Like I'm really proud of you, and I see how strong you are in being able to sit here and talk through this. Like I can tell that you were able to sit with what you were feeling from the last recording. Is there anything else that you want to leave listeners with before I let you get out of here?
1: You know, herpes is a virus, just like COVID. And why suffer in silence and be ashamed? It's the same. And I just love to everybody out there who is suffering from this. I'm your mom now. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I love you, and I'm always here for anyone.
0: All right, you say that now. I'm gonna push your uh. I'm gonna tag you in these (laughs) whenever the episode goes live. (laughs) I said,
1: I'm ready for the blowback.
0: (laughs) I think you and I think blowback are two different things. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, and share this podcast if you found any value from any of the podcast episodes, and you feel compelled to do so. Please leave a donation to the nonprofit organization. This is helping us with supporting people in getting therapy. It's supporting uh, like panel discussions and uh, herpes meetup groups, and my engagement there, being able to get to those and get involved and interview people and get them to get involved with the community and. A lot of things that I can't really measure have been done as a result of people's involvement with something positive for positive people, however they've chosen to get involved with it. And I can't say enough for the guests that have been on here. I can't say enough for the people who support us, keeping me motivated, keeping me consistent and keeping me accountable to continue to do this thing that I've set out to do. And so I'm hoping that over time, this can be something that becomes more easily accessible to people who are most struggling with their diagnosis and hopefully they're able to find the tools that they need in order to navigate the stigma. My goal is not to get rid of stigma that's been tried before. People have burned out and suffered from compassion fatigue in doing so. I just want to give you all the tools that you need in order to navigate it, and perhaps one of you will be the ones to end the stigma. So I'm just here (laughs) for now until I'm not anymore. And so um, while I'm here feel free to reach out connect and um, by this point the boundaries will be up on all of the social media accounts so please honor those Um, it helps me with continuing to be able to provide support to people as well as take care of myself till next time stay sex positive